This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 189. So for this week's episode, I wanted to get an opportunity to go back and talk to Mr. Dave Kelly again of Dave Kelly Artistics. He is doing some amazing work in fine art photography and fashion photography. And if you haven't seen his website yet, you need to swing by there because his images will absolutely blow your mind. So today, Dave and I are going to be talking about shooting with a Canon EOS R, and also we're going to be discussing the XP Pen 24-inch tablet, which is a newer item that Dave is using for editing his photos. So without any delay, we're going to go ahead and have Dave join us and get this episode going. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Liam. Thanks for uh, having me back. It's... uh... It's always fun. Absolutely. Now, I told you uh, recently when we were talking on Facebook, I wanted to have you back on the show because the episode 131 that you did with Ellie was extremely popular. And Dave thought it was only because Ellie was on the show. And and uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't just Ellie. She is popular on the show. But with the two of you combined, that show got more downloads than, all of, than both of her previous solo episodes did. So... Uh, I think there was a lot of my fans out there that really enjoyed listening to you and uh, having you talk about the work that you do and the beautiful images that you have on your website. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a trip. Um, I, I mean, I retired 11 years ago, so I've been doing this for 10 years. And, and uh, the difference is I've been doing it 24-7 except for sleeping and eating. <laughs> so it's like I've been doing it for 30 years as far as the amount of work. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, it's been great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for any of my listeners that are just joining us in this episode that didn't listen to 131 yet, and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that episode. You can find it in the catalog. Uh, Dave, go ahead and share with the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself, how you got started in photography, and what you're doing today, and then we'll go into a little more detail. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> about a year before I retired, um, and I was a webmaster for the city of Tempe. So I was, and I was a programmer, so there was nothing to do with art in my work. Um, uh, what I did. So it was, it was surprising when I started playing around with photography and coming up with artistic things. So I, at least I, I found out the, uh, I had another side of my brain. I wasn't sure for a while. Um, but, uh, uh, my son was interested. He was in his 40s, not, not a young guy. He was interested in photography, and I'm thinking, oh, here's a chance to do something with, with my son after I retire. Well, he decided he didn't like photography, but I did, and so I kept going with it. Um, and uh, I've gone through an awful lot. After a couple of years of doing it, I realized the passion wasn't going to go away, so I built a, a little studio onto my house, and now it's a training studio. I teach people how to do photography. That part was a total shock too. Um, after after about five years, people started asking me to teach them how to do what I do. So so I do that a lot. Uh, I had three classes. Last 
uh, three one-on-one classes just last week. Um, so, so we have fun. It's not a huge studio, but it's more than enough to, to get into lighting, but lighting and, um, Photoshop, uh, I mean, I love it. It's phenomenal. I, I currently have 19 terabytes of pictures that I can choose from to, to edit. So, so I'm, I'm a happy camper here. Wow. I can imagine 19 terabytes. That's gotta be a boatload of images. Uh, you gotta be up into the millions or close to it anyways. Well, it's, there's somewhere between six and 700 folders. I don't remember for sure, but each one of those folders is a shoot. Oh, yeah. wow. And uh, an awful lot of those are Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with that. She is fabulous. She is a very, very skilled and talented model, and she's a very lovely young lady. Yeah, she is. Uh, I'm hoping, since she just got back from Greenland, I'm hoping she, she comes uh, to our uh, forest home here and... Uh, hangs out for a few days and, you know, decompresses a little bit and gets some, some, some shooting in. She hasn't been able to shoot for almost 11 weeks. So oh, wow. um, uh, I'm sure she's looking forward to being in front of the camera. Oh, I can imagine. And she is such a natural at it. Okay. So let me get to my first question for you, Dave. Now I know um, you were originally shooting with the Canon 5D Mark IV, if I remember correctly, and I think you also had the 70D as well. So what made you decide to make the transition to using the Canon EOS R, which was Canon's first mirrorless camera they released in late 2018? Well, um, it, first of all, let me explain that I, I uh, um, oh, how's it go? Um, I don't let, uh, let's see, oh, need, yeah, I majored, I majored in want and I minored in need, okay, so when I want something, I want something, whether I need it or not, now, there's, there, you know, I don't, I don't consider that, um, no, actually what happened was um, I was going to go to Europe for a month and, you know, uh, do street photography and stuff in, in England and in Ireland, and I did not want to drag my 5d4 along anybody who's had one of those knows that just the body alone weighs weighs a ton and then you throw a lens on the on it my favorite lens is an 85 prime so that that now you're measuring it in the pounds there so i didn't want to take something that heavy so i used this as an excuse to go well let's look at the mirrorless cameras and they were considerably lighter and smaller so i went all right let's do that of course i've watched all kinds of videos on it and, and I ended up with the R because that was the only thing that, that uh, uh, Canon had out at the time. But it looked like it would do the job just fine. It was pretty equivalent size-wise and all. So I got one of those, took it all over Europe, shot almost everything with my phone, you know, because it was handier. Um, and when I got home, I uh, started watching more videos on it and everything. And one thing that they did not touch on, on um, mirrorless cameras that has completely changed how I shoot is, is the fact that you can, you take a shot and then you can see in the eyepiece what you just took. And that's like, Oh my God, that is so phenomenal. Um, I have not touched my 5d4 for, for, well, since 2019, because, well, I would, I would constantly sit and wait for a picture to show up in the, in the, in the eyepiece and it wouldn't be there. So there is that, but uh, it has slowed me down. So I'm not shooting as fast because I can stop in every shot, look at it, 
see where the lights are, if there's something that needs to be changed or um, it is awesome. It's like stopping and looking in the back of your camera uh, every shot without actually having to do that. So, so I'm, I'm in love with mirrorless. It really doesn't matter, you know, which one um, the R is nice, neat, clean, just does the job. I'm not doing video and that's what the newer, newer mirrorless are good for is get better at is uh, video. So, so that, that's, uh, that's my, that was my start with the R and why I got it. <laughs> now, did, uh, did it pose any problems for you? The fact that the R only has a single memory card slot, or is that really not a concern for you? Well, only once have I ever lost anything. Um, and I think that was even just a partial loss. If I was shooting, um, weddings or something, you know, important like that, Oh my God, I would not only have two card slots, but I would have two cameras with two card slots each um, because, you know, you just can't lose those. Um, my stuff being art and it's just me and one other person. If for some reason I lost it, it's like that hurt, but you know, nobody's going to sue me over it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would definitely, uh, I've been telling my listeners, you know, if you're looking to shoot weddings, if you're a wedding photographer, or doing some, some other type of photography where you absolutely cannot lose any images, you need to be using and you're and you're in the Canon ecosystem already, you need to be using the R5 or the R6. I would personally go with the R6. The R5 is nice, but I don't like the fact that they went with two different types of card slots like they did on all their 5D cameras, you know, one SD and one CF Express or compact flash. I hate that because it always inhibits the camera because if you're recording to both memory cards at once, it'll only write the files as fast as the slowest of the two cards. So I don't understand why Canon is still doing that. Now, one of the things that Sony has done that I absolutely love and Canon and the other camera companies should be copying this is their newest bodies are dual purpose, dual card slots. So they have two card slots and the slots are designed. So you can either use CF express cards or you can use SD cards. Both types of cards will fit in each slot and function perfectly. And I really wish Canon and Nikon and some of the others would get on board with this because it would open up a lot more possibilities for photographers and it would just make things, it's a lot more logical. To me, I never understood camera companies putting two different types of memory card technology in a dual slide camera, you know, because like I said a moment ago, you can only record as fast as the slowest of the two technologies. So even if one card slot is blazing fast, like on the R5 where you got the CF Express, I mean, those slots are ridiculously fast. But if you're trying to write to both cards at once, the CF Express is going to write as slow as the SD card. So that's going to inhibit your photography a bit because it's going to slow down the writing of the images to the files. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, now, on the on the 5D4, of course, as you know, there's two slots. Um, I, I, I plugged in the um, Compact Flash when I first got it, and I've never unplugged it from the camera. I mean, it's there. When I format, I format everything. Unless I lose it all on the SD card, I don't mess with the... It could be built in. It wouldn't matter to me because I'm only going to use one. Um, uh, if it did fail, yeah, and then I'd pull it out and do something with it. So, so but... And, and it depends on speed. I think the speed is more important with video than anything. I, 
I'm not a really fast shooter. Um, I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on and not end up with with uh, 5,000 shots when I really should only have 500 shots. Although I must say my first wedding was 5,000 shots. And some, I had my son helping me and somebody said, 5,000 shots? I, you know, I do weddings all the time. I would have only done half that. I said, yeah, I know, but we didn't know which half not to do. <laughs> oh goodness yeah i've done i've done a handful of weddings in my time i don't really like doing them because it's just too much pressure and you know like you were saying if you lose the images then you're going to get sued and so i've only ever done wedding photography photography mostly for either relatives or really close friends uh, now one of my close friends from atlanta who's also uh in my old ham radio club down there he uh, called me about a month or so ago and asked me if I'd come back down this coming, I think it's February, to shoot his wedding. He's getting remarried. His first wife passed away a number of years ago. And uh, well, he wanted me to come down and shoot his wedding. And I'm like, nah, sorry, bud. Uh, yeah, I don't really like doing weddings. Um, I'm not really crazy about the idea of doing another wedding. And so I'd, I'd just assume you hire somebody else that that's all they do is wedding photography. That way you know you're going to get what you should get and you'll get it in timely fashion and all of that good stuff. Hopefully everything works out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. The last, uh, and, and the only weddings I might even consider working with is if somebody's hired me to be a second shooter. That way I can like shoot the little boy with his, the ring bearer with his finger up his nose and you know, all the fun stuff. Um, uh, you know, not the not go down the list of things you have to shoot. So yeah, yeah, wedding, weddings are a special thing. Um, uh, I I learned a long time ago. Joel Grimes kind of turned me on to this. Um, and by the way, he's a really great guy. Uh, he doesn't know me from Adam, um, but you know, I I follow follow him pretty well, uh, pretty close. And one time he uh, he pointed out that um, you should only shoot what you love. If you don't, and we're artists, if you don't shoot what you love, um, you're not going to be very good at it. And if, but if you love it, now there you go. You're, you're going to, you're going to shine because there's going to be, well, you're just going to be into it big time. So, um, so when I learned that I went from being Dave Kelly photography to Dave Kelly artistics, that so people would not come to me and say, well, you shoot my wedding because frankly, I'm not very good at it or headshots or babies or any of the other stuff that, that um, I felt I was supposed to do because it said photography. It's like, no, not doing that. I'm an artist and that's, that's what I do. So uh, talk about uh, moving off the subject. There you go. (laughs) Hey, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. My uh, listeners love the long format interview episodes. They're always the most popular ones. And I've had some of these episodes go well over two hours. (laughs) So it's not a problem there. And I agree with you hundred percent when it comes to wedding photography, because I get people that direct message me or email me all the time. And, you know, they want to get into wedding photography or sports photography or something like that. And I tell them, Hey, your best bet is be a second shooter for an experienced wedding photographer. Go as a second shooter, you know, get contact a local wedding photographer in your area that's been doing it for years. Ask them if you can go as a second shooter or if you can just go as a photography assistant to them so that you can watch how they work, see how they do things, get an idea of how things are supposed to work and flow at a wedding. 
And that's what you need to do. If you, I always tell them, if you want to be a wedding photographer, you got to find one that's already experienced, be a second shooter or be a photography assistant for them. That is your best bet. And it's the same with sports. You know, if you want to shoot high level sports, whether it's NASCAR or, or Major League Baseball or NBA or NFL, you know, see if you can partner up with an existing photographer as their assistant or second shooter again, most likely as an assistant for something like that. And that way you can be there on the sidelines or at the racetrack or whatever, and you can watch exactly how they do things. And that'll give you a better idea of how you're going to approach things if you want to do that for a living. But I also agree 100%. When it comes to photography, you have to shoot what you love. If you don't have a passion for what you're doing, you're not going to want to do it anymore. And I hear about portrait photographers, or I mean, regular photographers all the time, you know, that they shoot, you know, because they have a photography business and that's their only source of income. So a lot of them will get drawn into shooting portraits, even though they don't like shooting portraits, because as most photographers know, portraits are usually our bread and butter, how we can make money easily and pay the bills. But if they do that long enough, they get burned out because they're not shooting stuff they love to shoot. And then eventually they just leave photography altogether and go back to the corporate world, you know, working in a cubicle in an office somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they have to, they have to support their habit of eating and, <laughs> and, and being under a roof and all. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I met a guy once who did wedding photography in uh, Denver and he, he was very, very, very good at it because he did it so long at every venue, every time of the day that he could go in with and he could shoot it. And the pictures were actually done when he was, when he was done with them. So it only took him a day to do a wedding and people would actually schedule weddings on Wednesday so he could shoot it, you know, and he was making three to three to five grand per wedding. It's really hard to walk away from that. Even if you don't like, he did not like doing it, but it's hard to walk away from that kind of money. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I can see that, but yeah, he was good at it just cause he'd done it for so long. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't remember his name, but I know a few years back I was reading about a wedding photographer in Manhattan. And uh, and the thing that blew me away, now he's another one of these guys that's been doing it for a long time. And as you can imagine, being he's based out of Manhattan, you know, in New York City, that's a very wealthy area. He makes ridiculous money for each wedding he shoots. I think ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, something like that. And he shoots every wedding with nothing but a 50 millimeter 1.2 L at the time anyways, because he was shooting Canon as well. And a 135 portrait lens, the 135 F2 L. That was all he used for every wedding he shot. Two lenses, two 5D, I think at the time, Mark III bodies, and that was it. And this guy was making high six figures a year just shooting weddings, but it was what he loved to do. He absolutely loved it. That's the only thing he would shoot. He didn't waste his time with portraits or anything else. All he shot was weddings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't miss it. Yeah. Now, my next question for you is in addition to your EOS R mirrorless platform, and like you said at the beginning of this episode, it's the EOS R is very, very similar technologically to the 5D4 that you already had. Uh, the biggest, I think, as a matter of fact, I think it has the same sensor as the 5D Mark IV. Um, and, you know, basically the biggest difference is the fact that it doesn't have two card slots. So besides getting the R, 
did you start switching over to the RF mount lenses or are you still using your EF lenses with the adapter? And if so, which lenses did you go with? You know, what did you like most about what you did go with? Okay. Um, yeah, good question. Well, when the R was first coming out, they were, they were really pushing the adapters and, and, uh, yeah, if you get the R, you know, we include an adapter and then they turned around and shipped another adapter because they didn't know one was in the box. And then there was another, you know, just about everything that, that uh, I did came with some kind of adapter for a lens. So I ended up with like five of them, which was enough for all of my lenses. And I think I only paid for two. Um, so I, I really loved the lenses that I had. And I've, I've got a 70 to 200, uh, 16 to 35. Um, let's see, uh, my 85, which is my, I, if somebody says grab a lens and let's go, I grab my 85. Uh, that's the one that goes down to 1.2. Um, and, uh, uh, so, so when I got the R, the only RF lenses I have is a 24, 105 and I bought a 35 because I'd always wanted to play with a 35 too. Um, so those two are RF lenses and, and the 24 to 105 is basically a kit lens. So it'll only go down to like F, uh, four. So, um, but I use it a lot. It, it works fine in the studio. Um, but, uh, the, the adapters do fine. Uh, they all have little adapter extensions on them. I even got one of them with a little ring. Um, the RF lenses all have a, a separate ring, like the old film cameras where you can set that ring to adjust whatever you want, you know, F-stop or, you know, aperture or speed. And I completely forget about the ring all the time. I mean, the ring's there. Um, and I programmed them. And I said, yeah, this is really cool. And then when it comes to the shoot, I forget completely that it's there. So um, so I've really just used uh, what I already had, and they're working just fine. Um, I'll point out that I'm not a perfectionist, however. Um, a lot of people say, how do you get your, your pictures that sharp? And I said, you didn't zoom in, did you? <laughs> because it's not, um, I shoot handheld. I can't shoot with a tripod because if I put my camera on a tripod, I give it a three minute lifespan before I trip over it. So I do it all by hand. Um, so, uh, um, so I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway, my stuff isn't that sharp. It's the, uh, it's the way I treat the images in post that make them look like they're sharp. Um, so anyway, I, I, I still love it. Uh, the biggest, the biggest thrill for me is, um, being able to just see my picture as soon as I take it. It's just a tool and that's what it does. And I don't think I could go with anything after, after that I'm spoiled. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, uh, that is one of the most amazing parts of having a mirrorless camera is the fact that when you look through that electronic viewfinder, what you see is what your image is going to be when you take it. So it's basically like looking at the live view on the rear LCD, only it's smaller. You can put your eye right up to it. And as you're looking through it and you adjust your aperture or your shutter speed or your ISO, you instantly see how that change is going to affect the final image because in the electronic viewfinder, what you see, like I said, is what you shoot. That's what your final product is going to look like. And I agree with you hundred percent. I am totally spoiled now that I use mirrorless. <laughs> I couldn't go back to, I mean, I could still shoot a DSLR, but I would not be happy going back to a DSLR at all. 
Well, a, a second big plus to that is um, I have to have reading glasses in order to see, see anything. I'm, per, I'm I'm not a totally blind photography photographer, but nothing is sharp unless I'm wearing some more glass in front of my face. Having it that's so I can see that picture on the back of the camera through the viewfinder means I don't have to use the the Hoodman you know loop on a on the back of the camera in order to see it clearly to see if it's even in focus. So that's cool. The the one gotcha that I've I've seen everybody have with mirrorless cameras, and you probably uh, relate to this if you've done anything in indoors with flash. Um, most people they'll start with their mirrorless outside and everything's fine. They're doing fine. And then they go to shoot um, in the studio and their, their viewfinders black. And because they have to set the speed low and they, you know, all of the settings that you do, it's setting it to see the picture with the flash going off. And of course it's black otherwise. So you have to tell it uh, to stop simulating um, real life. Um, or start start simulating um, what you see is is what you see as opposed to what you see is what you get based on your settings in your camera. You have to say stop paying attention to the settings of the camera. Just show it to me. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be you set it for a flash, and it's going to be black until the flash goes off. Um, and and that's a tough thing for people to catch on when they first get it. It's like why am I not seeing anything here? So. Uh, so that's fun. That's that's usually the first thing I do in a class if somebody comes in with a, a mirrorless camera. And it's like, all right, have you shot this before in the studio? Because if you haven't, we need to sit down and, and make some changes here. Yeah, exactly. Did, 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 yep. did you find that out when you first started? Yeah, yep, absolutely. And that's why I have my, because uh, I started out with the, uh, the EOS R like you did. And I still have mine. I have the R, the RP, and the R6. And um, what I did was uh, I had my camera set up, you know, using the custom the custom buttons. So I set one mm -hmm. dot one position. C one will be for shooting anything outside, and then I switch to C two, and it changes all the configuration so you can shoot in the studio when you're using a strobe, and you instantly have the proper settings so the viewfinder works the way it's supposed to, and you can actually see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's when I learned that there were custom settings. I mean, I knew that they were there. I just didn't know why anybody would need them. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, you need them. Yeah, because, I mean, they, and they come in so handy because, like I said, you know, you shoot outside, you put it on C1, you go into your studio, you put it on C2, and bam, you're ready to go. You don't have to go fumbling through the menu to find all the settings that you need to go back to studio shooting. You just have them all pre-programmed with that dial. Yeah, definitely. Very handy. Okay, so the next question I have for you is, has switching from DSLRs to mirrorless changed the way that you approach your photography? And if so, how did it affect it? Yeah, um, it did affect it. Well, let me also point out that I, I really would like the R's to focus better, but then I, I wanted my 5D4 to focus better too. Uh, they, they still aren't uh, tack sharp instantaneous focus. Um, I don't know if they'll ever get to that, but um, uh, but yeah, being able to see that that image in the back right away. Um, a lot of times the models are wondering why is he taking you know five seconds between shots. I know I changed my pose. What's the problem? And it's like the problem is I'm sitting there looking at the last shot to see what needs to change, uh, mostly lighting, 
um, or I might I might then so okay go back to that previous pose and move your arm a little over here or a little over there and we can get a better shot. Um, uh, what I used to do is, is take about ten shots uh, the way I think it should be, and then I would put the the uh, hoodman on the back and look at those ten shots and decide you know what was wrong. So instead of taking ten shots and then taking a little break, I take a smaller break in between every single shot. And the model doesn't, sometimes I'll say, I'm, I'm, I'm viewing each picture and I let them know what I'm doing just so they know that I'm, I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> I am an old guy, you know. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that was a huge change for me. Um, I think my number of, of shots probably came down by a third uh, of what I used to do because oh, I don't have 10 shots. It didn't work. Um, I've got one or two that didn't work and, you know, and I adjusted accordingly. So, so that, that was the, the biggest thing, uh, between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And I, and I do agree with you. The EOS R is a great camera, but I, you know, I tell people all the time and to be honest, I actually got this directly from a Canon rep, um, right after the R was announced in late 2018, I was at Imaging USA in January of 2020. And I got a chance to go to the CPS lounge, which is for Canon Professional Services members. And I was getting my free sensor cleaning on my, at the time I had the 6D Mark II and the 5D Mark III. And I was getting the complimentary lens and sensor cleaning. And while I was there, I got talking to one of the older gentlemen that had been with Canon for close to 30 years at that time. And of course, you know, he couldn't spill the beans on what Canon was working on. Um, but we got chatting and, and I told him, I said, yeah, I said, I have a photography podcast. And I was telling my listeners after Canon announced the EOS R that this is going to be a bridge camera. You watch, you give Canon 18 at the most 24 months, and they're going to come out and hit Sony hard. And they did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he was just smiling at me when I was talking about all this. And he's like, yeah, what we got in the pipeline that's coming out next is going to blow everybody's minds. And sure enough, they did at exactly the 18 month mark that the July 18 months later is when Canon dropped the R5 and the R6 and the autofocus in those cameras is just ridiculous. The eye detect uh, automatic eye detect in the autofocus for portraits as well as animals. I mean, and, and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of of professional photographers that have really popular YouTube channels, you know, like Peter McKinnon, Jared Poland from Philadelphia, the DP review guys up in Canada. And they're all like, wow, Canon just blew Sony out of the water with these two cameras because their eye detect autofocus is faster, better, and more accurate. And it's just insane, especially when it's partnered with their dual pixel AF system, because that thing, I mean, it's just crazy. And, you know, and I've got the R6 and the, the autofocus on it just blows your mind how fast and responsive and accurate it is. It's crazy. Yeah, I've got a friend that just picked up, I'm trying to think which one it is. I don't understand why they, they, they jump from the R to the R6 and now they're counting down. <laughs> you know, the, the better cameras are, are, are lower numbers. It's like, okay, well, I... I can't keep up with, with which ones are which. It was a $4,000 body. Maybe it's the five. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and I, I have 
no intention of even trying his camera because I know it's going to cost me four grand if I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now what you, and see, I know what I understand how Canon, it is a little bit weird the way they're doing things, but I understand where they're coming from. Cause like I, I've been telling people from the beginning, the R and the RP were bridge cameras. They were the opportunity for Canon to stick their feet in the waters of full frame mirrorless because they'd already been doing APS-C mirrorless. They had the EOS M line. And those cameras were extremely popular. They had a limited selection of lenses, which I never understood, but they were extremely popular cameras. They were super compact, lightweight, and all of that. And, you know, so Canon already had, you know, the mirrorless technology. They were already doing it. And the R and the RP were, like I said, just bridge models. And now that they're going to their full-blown, you know, all-in on full-frame mirrorless, their naming scheme to me actually makes sense because as they mentioned before, the R5 is the mirrorless replacement for the 5D line. So it looks like a 5D Mark III or IV. You know, mostly, you know, the design, physical design is the same. It's got the same dual card slots. It's got the same sensor and all that good stuff. I, actually, I think they bumped the sensor up a little bit in the, R, in the R5. But so the R5 was a replacement for the 5D line. And then the R6 is basically the replacement for the 6D line, which was extremely popular on Canon's side. Again, it was a DSLR um, that only had a single card slot, but it was an extremely popular model. And I think one of the reasons for it was because you could buy the camera brand new for $2,000. So Canon then came out with the R6. Now they had to up the price a bit, you know, because they got to cover the cost of all the research and development for the new full frame mirrorless tech that they've got in these cameras, you know, but it's, it's kind of surprising because honestly, they sell the R5 for about the same price that they sold the 5D line for when a new model would come out. But on the R6, they actually raised the price by like $500 versus what they sold the 6D line for. Uh, but that's basically what they're doing. And now the R3 did throw me off. I was not expecting an R3. I was expecting them to do the 5, the 6, and then the 1 because the EOS R1 is going to be the replacement for the 1DX line. Um, so I wasn't expecting the 3. But then when it came out, I was like, well, you know, in a way it does make sense because back in the film days, Canon had both a one and a three series in film cameras. So they retired the three series for a long time. And now apparently they've decided they've, they're going to bring it back. So even though it caught me off guard, I wasn't expecting an R3. I was expecting the R1 announcement sometime in, in next year. But having the R3, I mean, they, they kind of blindsided everybody with that model. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch and see, you know, who ends up getting what and, and which one becomes the popular one. Uh, I know my, my buddy got the five and I, I looked at it and went, wait, 45 megapixel images. Um, and I've got 19 terabytes and most of those are, are 22. I, <laughs> storage is cheap, though. Yeah, exactly. He, he loves being able to zoom in and, and see pores within pores. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, for you, to be honest, for this, the type of shooting you do, you'd probably be better off going the route I did and just get the R6 because it's a heck of a lot cheaper. Um, now, granted, it's only a 20.1 megapixel sensor, but guess what? It's the same 20.1 megapixel sensor they've been using in the 1DX line forever. 
And I mean, look at how many people are out there making their full-time living shooting NASCAR, NFL, MLB, NHL, all that stuff using the 1DX line. It's, you know, the 6 has the same processor. It has the same sensor as the 1D. And that's what I tell people all the time. I said, basically, you know, I throw my battery grip on the R6 and I've got a lighter version of the 1DX Mark II. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it when people say, oh, but you know, zoom in here. You can see, you can see the difference. I said, well, don't zoom in because that's not what I shot it for. You know, take your jeweler's jeweler's loop and go home. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate those guys that are like the Uber pixel peepers. It's like, dude, man, you don't need a jeweler. Like you said, a jeweler's loop to look at my images. Just enjoy the image. Just enjoy the story that I was trying to convey with this image. You know, that's that's what the intention was. Not like you said, to see pores within pores. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to see every little hair follicle when I take somebody's picture. You know, I, I don't want, I don't need to be able to count all the little pieces of hair in his five o'clock shadow when I take his picture. Yeah, true. Well, I, when I take pictures, a lot of times, I mean, I'm doing it from, for my own personal satisfaction of creating art, really. Um, but sometimes I like to play with people's heads, too. Um, uh, lately, well, some of my earlier work is very smooth, the old Hollywood style, where, where everything's pretty polished up. Yep. And, you know, I would get that, oh, it looks like a doll, blah, blah, blah. So it's a style. If you don't like the style, that's okay. It's a style. Um uh, but lately, I've noticed that well, my 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 latest work, the last few years, has had a lot more texture in it. But I found out that if any of the picture has texture, then in everybody's head, it all has texture. So, uh, so I can smooth out an area and and get away with it because they see texture over here, so that must have it too. So, I mean, they in their heads they see it. Um, it's like okay, cool. Um, and, and then I'll play with some other people. I, I don't know if you're OCD, but I'll, I'll shoot somebody on some stairs and I'll tilt the camera just ever so slightly to drive those people to their therapists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got a bit of OCD myself. <laughs> Guilt, guilty as charged. Okay, so you're shooting, you're still shooting primarily, primarily with your EF glass, which is absolutely fine. And I tell people this all the time because I have tested the crap out of the the R platform with the EF adapters, and they work phenomenal. I mean, you know, they're made by Canon. Canon made the comp, uh, you know, the the mirrorless body. Canon makes the lenses, so it only makes sense that if you use Canon's adapter, you're not going to have any loss in performance. And I have absolutely never seen any loss in performance using the the ef to rf adapters now i have since gotten rid of all my ef glass the only thing i kept um, was my 40 millimeter stm 2.8 pancake lens because i absolutely love that little lens it's so tiny and it just makes great images especially for long exposures at night i absolutely love it and now canon has announced that they're releasing an rf 16 millimeter f 2.8 stm pancake for 300 bucks and i am definitely getting that bad boy because i just love the i love those really wide lenses not only for my real estate and documentary work but i love to shoot landscapes so i love to have a nice wide lens like that that's an f 2.8 if i need it for something you know i've got that really wide aperture and if i don't i can stop it down and use it to do long exposures either daytime or nighttime so you know, I tell people all the, and I actually did a video um, just a couple of months ago. Uh, Viltrox reached out to me, 
And uh, they said, hey, we have this new adapter that we created for the Canon R mount cameras. So you can use EF glass on the, on the R bodies. Would you review it for us? And they didn't pay me to review it or anything. They just sent a copy of it to me and asked me to try it out. And I was impressed because Viltrox's adapter is about a quarter of the price of the Canon one. And the performance is pretty much just as good as it is with the Canon, you know, adapters the Canon puts out. I mean, the AF was just as fast and accurate. So I was extremely impressed with that. And that's one of the things I tell people all the time that hit me up. They're like, hey, you know, I got the EOS R or I got the RP or I just got the R6. Should I get rid of all my EF glass? And I'm like, no. Keep your EF glass, especially if you've got a bunch of the expensive L lenses. Why get rid of them? I, I did, but the reason why I did was because I not only wanted to transition to all RF glass, but I was at the time also getting rid of all my DSLR stuff so that I could pay for my medium format system. <laughs> when I went to when I got the GFX 50R and, and the first couple of lenses for that. So that was the only reason why I did it. But I tell people all the time, no, if you've got L glass, do not sell it and go to the RF glass just because you have an RF mount body. Use the adapter because the RF lenses are fantastic, but on most of them, Canon really jacked the price up because they're trying to recoup all their research and development money. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you mentioned the wide angle of the 16 millimeter. Uh, when I first got started, when I first, and when I thought I had to shoot weddings and all that stuff, I bought a 1635, um, and they weren't cheap. I think it was like, it was $1,800, something like that. Um, and, uh, I, I got it because you needed that in order to shoot the dress and the rings and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I mean, down the checklist, it's like, okay, cool. Well, now I'm not shooting weddings. So what am I going to use it for? That thing is so handy. There's a, there's a boat. Um, it's about a 30 foot sailboat that just about every photographer has been invited to and has shot models on. And I was one of the last to do that. And it's like, so what am I going to do to be different? I mean, they're going to be in bikinis and, you know, up against the mast, taking pictures like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. So I only took one lens with me, the 1635. That was a, the, it's a massive boat now because Everything I took made it look so much bigger. Um, but even in the studio, I can hold that out in front of me with the model laying on the floor, and I look like I'm 20 feet up. And I can get the, the coolest pictures by without climbing or doing anything. I can do some amazing stuff with it. So anybody who wants to get really artistic, make sure they have at least one lens that goes really low on F stuff, like 1.2, 1.4. And another lens that um, uh, a wide angle lens. Uh, between those two, you can do some pretty awesome, cool stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I actually did an episode of my show. I don't remember what the episode number is off the top of my head about other uses for your wide angle lenses. You know, because I have people hit me up all the time and they're like, yeah, I got the 16 to 35 or the 17 to 40. And they're like, what am I going to do with this? You know, like, yeah, I can use it when I shoot real estate part-time and get paid for doing that. But other than that, what the heck am I going to do with this lens? So I did a whole episode on how you can use those wide angle lenses to get more interesting perspectives. And, uh, you know, and I even talked about the possibility of using them for certain types of portrait work. And I did sample images where I went out, um, where I was living in Loganville at the time, I went out to 
the uh, a local botanical garden, and they had a whole bunch of various size uh, Greek statues all throughout the garden. And so I took my 17 to 40 and I did some I did some portrait shooting on the statues with it, you know, because like you said, you can actually be close to it. But at 17 millimeters, it looks like you're 20 feet away still <laughs> because it is so, yeah. you know, 16, 17 is so bloody wide that, you know, you can be right on top of your subject and it looks like you're, you know, 15, 20 feet away still. So I can imagine for the type of work you do. Um, and your creative, uh, your creative side, because I've seen some of the amazing stuff you've done that you can probably, you know, have a model laying on a floor and you can get, you know, just a couple of feet above her on a step ladder and shoot straight down and using that 16 to 35, you can make it look like the camera was 20 feet up on the ceiling. Oh, I don't even use a step ladder. There's, um, I'll go find the shot and, and send it to you along with the other ones that, that, uh, uh, that we might talk about here of on one of the shots on the boat it was the bow so it was in, in in the front there and i could see water on both sides lots of water on both sides you could see the 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 size of the boat narrowing down and the model was laying there with a hat over her top and and stretched out it, it was a, it's a gorgeous shot and all i had to do is edit out my feet because i was standing right next to her when i took the picture and just held it over her. I don't even look into it. It focuses pretty well, you know. I focus center, and uh, uh, it it's it's amazing what you can do with it. So, um, and I usually tease people and go, "Well, how far up the mast do you think I was to get this shot?" <laughs> oh man, I can imagine that was that was the question I was going to ask you when you said you don't even use a stepladder. That was the first thing that popped in my head. I'm like, well, then he's either got a crop or content aware fill out his toes because they're probably going to be in the shot if you're just standing there oh yeah yes i'm, I'm editing my feet out of a lot of those and that's fine <laughs> and it, it works yeah absolutely okay so now in addition to shooting the r i wanted to get into this other newer piece of tech that you're using and let you talk about that you started using uh what's called the xp pen pro and it's a 24-inch tablet that you use for editing your images. So can you give us some more details about this tablet and how it helps your workflow? Sure. Well, a little history. Um, I've used Wacom like since the beginning. Uh, I mean, very beginning. Or Wacom, whichever, whoever, whichever side of the river you live on. Um, uh, and, and that's okay. It was a little pricey, but fine, you know, good. Um, I always looked at the Cintiqs and went, oh, that would be directly on the picture, you know, on the screen. And that would be cool. Um, the three or $4,000, though, wasn't cool to me. It's like, no, I better really love it at that price. <laughs> um, so I never really tried. I kept seeing them. Well, uh, I ended up buying one um, pretty cheap, but it was like a 13-inch one. It was way too small. I mean, I couldn't see it. And when I did look close, all I saw were pixels. So it was an early one. And it's like, no, this isn't good. Then I tried doing it on my iPad. And it's like, no, this is just too small. It's not working for me. So so time goes on. And uh, every 15 minutes, technology changes. So I, I checked one day to see just what's going on out there. And the Cintiqs were still really expensive. But there were some really inexpensive um, comp competition out there. This one right here, I think their retail price is like $8.99. So it's like $900. It's not cheap unless you get it when it's on sale, which they have it on sale all the time. 
I mean, I just bought a second one because I have two homes and I bought it. For, they said, yep, it's on sale for $630. I said, okay, I'll take another one. It's easier than dragging this one back and forth. And then when I, when they charged me, they charged me $617. I think it's exchange rate or something. Um, in any case, it, 617 bucks for a for a pad pad with a 24 inch monitor in it uh and that's 2450 or whatever it is across so so it's pretty clear because remember with something like this your face is right there in front of it you know so if there's pixels you're going to see them um i love it and i've had to learn to turn the brightness down to about 20 percent because it's it is literally in your face um but yeah, um, I thought, well, I better like this. At least I can return it if I don't. And I haven't really edited on anything since. Now it's been um, at least two years. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, it, and it, it brings out the feel of being an artist because when I'm drawing, I'm drawing on the picture and, you know, um, uh, doing the dodge and burn right there on the picture itself. Um, and that, that just gives you a, a better feeling of being an artist. So, um, so yeah, I love it. Um, and now this, I've talked to some other people into it. Well, they decided to try it. And uh, one guy I know, no, nope, he just couldn't, couldn't do it and sent it back. Uh, a couple other people are just loving the Dickens out of it. So, so it's, it's one of those season to taste things. Some people love, love it and some people won't, but you know, with, one of the main things that I teach in my classes and stuff, if you're going to do it artistic, you've got to do dodge and burn and all, you can't use a mouse. You have to have a pad. So no matter what you have, you've got to have at least a pad, uh, whether it's got a screen behind it or not. So, um, so I'm a big advocate for that. Um, but yeah, and I think these are actually still on sale until the end of the month, uh, their little anniversary or something. And if it's not on sale after that, it will be uh, around Christmas time again. Yeah. Now, if I understand correctly, um, you plug this directly into your computer and does, now I, if I, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, does it at that point act as a second monitor? Only it's a monitor that you can actually use a stylus to edit your images directly on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I do my editing with a 13, I use a 13 inch MacBook for my editing machine. Well, nothing it's, wrong with it's that. It's an M1. Yeah, it's an M1. So it took it took about six months before everything worked properly on it. So I was using my 16, um, uh, my 16 inch uh, until the 13 inch one or M1 grew up. Um, didn't have to have simulators. Yeah, until all the software um, caught up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nothing, not everything ran under Rosetta for sure. The cool part is with a Mac, you can use one. Uh, cable that's a C connector on each end. You plug one into the Mac, one into the the monitor, and it does everything. It does the USB part for the pin, and it also transfers the the video. So they both link up, and wherever you put the pin, of course, that's where the pointer goes. Um, I have them mirrored um, because it it needs to be. You know, if you don't mirror it, it gets complicated. Um, but you know, it's, that's just the setup. Um, I usually close the laptop, just use the main thing. And even when I'm searching around on Facebook and goofing off, I still use this because, 
Um, it's so easy to, my, my right arm is a little stronger than, than my left now because I'm constantly moving the pin around on this 24 inch pad. But, uh, um, it's, uh, it's, it grows on you. It's great. A lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. So it sounds like uh, you're getting to the point where your right arm looks like Popeye's and <laughs> your, your left arm yeah. still squares. Well, <laughs> if I had to carry it around, I would because the thing weighs like 12 pounds. It's not. Wow. But it tilts, wow. it tilts back and forth. Uh, I can reach back and, and just grab a little handle and it tilts down. And so it's now uh, relatively flat and I can draw on it. Then if I want to sit back and watch some YouTubes, I just crank the thing up, sit it up, uh, upright and uh, watch whatever I want. So, so it's, it's pretty cool that way. Now, if it was hooked up to a, to a uh, PC, it would have, um, two connections, the, the, um, uh, HDMI and a USB connection, um, just the two cables and that's it. Um, now there's, there's something I added to this, which people can add to anything. I mean, if I was still just using a pad, I would add this to it also. It's it's an accessory they have, but a lot of other people have one like it. I think Wacom has their own version and, and XP has one that I love. It's, if people want to look it up, it's called an AC19, uh, AC19. It's a little thing about the size of the palm of your hand. It's got nine buttons on it. It's got a ring on the top and a button in the middle of the ring. And I programmed all of those buttons to do different things for me. If I want to dodge and burn, I push one button and my dodge and burn action is pulled up and I'm ready to rock and roll. I don't have to, I don't have to move the mouse around for anything. But the most important is the button in the center uh, with the ring. I can push that button and toggle back and forth between zooming in and out or changing the size of my brush. Oh, wow. Um, I can have it do a bunch of other things too, but that's the only two that I'm interested in. Um, cause you could, I've seen some people who set it this. So the third setting is to rotate it if they want to do that. If, if I was a true artist drawing caricatures, I would definitely have that, but it's, um, um, I programmed all nine buttons. I figured I'm too old to remember what they are, but I was surprised how quickly they became second nature to me. Uh, now, of course, you know, I can't ever, ever change those buttons because now they're locked in. A little bit like you can't ever move where your knives and forks and things are stored in the kitchen because you'll always go to that drawer. But um, but it's it has sped up my workflow a lot because I don't even look down at the thing and I can whip through um, all of my uh, my actions and things without thinking about it, and it just happens. Yeah, that would definitely be amazing. Um, and that's the biggest issue I ran into, just like you were talking about. I tried for uh, a while to use the Wacom tablets, and I just didn't like them. Um, I couldn't get used to the way they worked. They were supposedly, the one I bought was supposedly designed specifically for left-handed people. Because when I use, you know, I'm left-handed when it comes to a pen and write and eating. But I do everything else better with my right except for shooting. I can do that from both sides equally well. And I just could not get used to the Wacom. Um, even though I bought the one that was left-handed, I just could not get it to function properly um, with the way I hold my left hand to write and draw and stuff. So I couldn't do that. And, you know, when the first iPad Pros came out with the first generation Apple Pencil, I was like, oh, yeah, now maybe I could do something with this. And, of course, at that point, with uh, 
with Apple software, if you wanted to mirror your MacBook to your iPad as a second display, you had to buy third-party software to do it and then plug it in via USB and, you know, you could get it to work. Now, the thing that's exciting is one of the things Apple has added with iOS 15 and macOS Monterey when they released that is seamless integration between your Mac, your iPad, and your phone. Not only be able to instantly use your iPad as a second monitor just by opening it up and setting it next to your Mac, but you will also be able to use the same keyboard and trackpad or mouse between both items. It'll automatically switch. So once you set your iPad up, you can just move your mouse pointer and it'll go off the MacBook or iMac screen and right onto the iPad screen and you keep going. But I ran into the same issue you did. I it wasn't enough real estate to edit my photos on the iPad either, which really bummed me out, you know, because I was so excited when the iPad Pro came out with the pencil. I was like, yes, I'll be able to edit my photos on that sucker. And then, like you said, you know, I, I started trying it and I'm like, ah, the screen's just too small. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I didn't really want the 13 inch iPad because that's too big to want to lug around all the time. But even the 13 inch one would be too small. And so I think you actually have the perfect happy medium because you didn't have to go stupid big 24 inches isn't crazy big uh you know it's it's a considerable size screen considerable size tablet but you know you didn't have to go to 32 or 36 inches which would just be overkill and a real pain in the butt to move and you know with you saying that the tablet weighs 12 pounds i can definitely understand why you bought one for each house <laughs> yeah well they, they do they not that I work for them or anything, but they do have a 22 inch one also. And it's 1920 across. Um, and I've tried two of those. I actually ordered them. They were like super, super cheap, like 350 bucks. It's like, oh man, I mean, one of these would be really handy to just have around as a backup. And I just, I could see the pixels. So I didn't like it. The extra two inches wasn't that big a deal. But the fact is it was higher resolution. Uh, now to give Cintiq, you know, a little credit, I think they have some 4K ones, uh, some really super high res ones um, that are 24 inch. So yeah, there you go. Uh, be like a like an IMAX screen. And by the way, I didn't mention on that AC19 thing, you can use that on anything, anything. You don't even have to use it for for photography. If you've got other things you're doing with your computer, you can program everything to do whatever you want, and it's only like thirty five dollars. So wow, um, that's 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 a good thing to yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to look to get one of those. Yeah, and by the way, that 22 inch one is like five pounds as opposed to this one. So there's a huge difference in size, wow. but or, or weight. But um, but yeah, if you're gonna do artistic work on it, it's it's great. I mean, I whipped through it. I, I'm sorry you had trouble with it, but I'll bet I know what what was wrong. I bet I can tell you because I've helped a lot of people with it. You have to map your um, your tablet to your screen exactly. So um, you have to make it this. So if you're going to edit, um, the upper left corner of the pad has to be the upper left corner of your screen. And the bottom right corner has to be the bottom. You can't put it in the mouse mode. That will drive you completely into um, uh, the madhouse because... It's like, I can't figure out where my pointer is going. And it's like, no, it's, you you get to a point where your hand goes to a certain place on the pad 
and that puts the pointer at a certain place on the screen because you learn where you go on the pad to put the pointer where on the screen. Um, but they have to be mapped this you know, mapped corner to corner. Uh, then it's e much easier to use. Um, uh, if and and for a long time it didn't come to fault that way. It's like wow, okay, well, why not? And it's like a car not coming with tires. You know, it's like no. Um, now I think they do pretty much. They they assume you want to map it to your screen. Um, because well, they got a lot of flack or a lot of returns or something. Yeah, so, I can imagine. Um, so you think that might have been it? It wasn't wasn't mapped to your screen because um, possibly. I I just know the Walcom for me was just a complete nightmare. I just could not stand. Yeah. So, so it's you know like anything else. If if there was a particular model of camera that was the the ultimate camera and everybody loved it, there would only be one camera. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now I don't have a I don't have a tablet like you do, but one of the things that I did buy a few years ago that I absolutely love is one of the Loop Deck editing keyboards, and I mm -hmm. absolutely love that. And it just sits on the desk above my regular Mac keyboard, and I have all these dials and sliders and all that stuff. And it's a, it comes with its software. It's preloaded, so it has all of the most important functions for Photoshop, for Lightroom, for Capture One, even for Luminar software, all embedded in its firmware. So when you plug it in and you fire up whatever editing software you're using, it knows instantly and it maps all the sliders and dials and everything for that particular software. And I absolutely love the Loop Deck. And I know there's another company, I can't remember the name of them, they make a similar thing but theirs is a more module design. Um, so it's a it's a, a specialized editing keyboard similar to the Loop Deck, but the way this other one works is you actually buy these little pieces and then they all magnetically snap together and can create a, a special editing keyboard and a special trackball for, you know, moving your pointer around and all that stuff. And I don't I didn't want to get into that because the module idea was cool, but the modules were extremely expensive. <laughs> the loop deck was enough money on its own. The loop deck, because I got the loop deck Pro plus, which is the top of the line model. And that was like 300 bucks. And um, the modular one that I was talking about that one, oh my God, by the time you bought all the modules that you would realistically need, you were talking well over a thousand dollars for that one. And I was like, no. Yeah. I, I, I played around, played around with the loop deck a little bit because when I saw the AC-19, I said, well, what else is out there? You know, because this is $35. It's like no big deal. I said, what else is out there? And I looked around. And of course, I found Loop Deck. And they have a model now that even the knob has a little screen in the middle. And you can program that screen with touch. So you can have even more buttons and everything lit up. And like you said, it's like, so which app are you using? All right. And all the, you bring up the app or you make that app highlighted on your screen. All of a sudden, all your buttons change to work with that app. It's like, that was awesome. I mean, I loved it um, for the week I had it. And the reason I, <laughs> I didn't keep it is because you like had to reinstall some software every time you brought up your computer. It was a bug they were working on, but they wouldn't admit to anyone they were working on. And it was it was Photoshop of all things. Uh, they had just with this particular one, they had only just started supporting it. And it was it wasn't until I sent it back that they finally sent me a message saying, Well, we're working on this, and yeah, there's a problem. And, and okay, well, there's a reason I sent it back. But um, 
in the end, I'm kind of glad I didn't because one of the things I couldn't do with the loop deck is just put my hand on it and know which buttons because the buttons changed, you know, all the time. And, and it was hard to tell where your fingers were. Um, with this thing, 35 bucks does the job. It doesn't light up. It's got one little blinky green thing to tell you whether the battery's working. Um, but it does, it does really well. Uh, it might be good for you if you're taking it on, on vacations or on the road. But um, a loop deck was ph phenomenal. If I was doing videos all day um, or podcasts, I'd probably have one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm definitely intrigued by this tablet that you're using because it sounds like something that I could actually work with. Um, because like I said, I had the same issues you did with the Wacom and trying to use the iPad. So using something like what you have now probably would work for me. But I don't do a lot of artistic editing in my photos. I rarely go into Photoshop. Um, I try to, right now, I honestly try to stick with doing all of my editing just in Capture One. And that's because I'm trying to get away from Adobe because I hate paying the monthly subscription to Adobe. That's the biggest thing that cheeses me off is just everybody wants you to pay monthly for every freaking thing now. And Capture One, although they offer a subscription model, they still offer the perpetual licensing. So you can just pay a one-time fee and you own the software outright and, and they'll still keep updating it for you for so many years after you buy it without you having to upgrade to the next new version every year. But I love Capture One and I've been complaining to them and I hope to God they listen. If you're listening to the show, Capture One, this is for you. <laughs> they need to give us the ability in their software to copy from your EXIF data, copy the GPS location, the geotagging. They don't do that. Um, I shoot my documentary projects, you know, that my first book was based on with my Fujifilm GFX 50R, my medium format mirrorless. And one of the things that pissed me off about Fuji is they don't put GPS in any of their cameras. No GPS chip, no GPS stack uh, in the communication stack, so you can't plug in a hot shoe GPS or one that plugs in, you know, to the side via USB port and use that. They're like, no, you got to use our smartphone app. And it's like your smartphone app is not practical. Number one, it drains both your camera and your phone faster. Number two, it's not a continuous um, sync. So what Fuji doesn't tell you, and you have to learn this from playing around with the app is once you pair the app with your Fuji camera, Yes, you can get GPS data embedded in the EXIF of your RAW files or your JPEGs, but every new location you go to, you have to go into the phone app. You have to tell the phone to resync to the satellites to make sure it got the accurate location, and then you have to tell it to resync it to the camera. It doesn't do that automatically, and that's a royal pain in the rear end. And I've been complaining to Capture One because I'm like, look, the only reason why I still have Lightroom, even though you guys are my primary editing software, is you don't give me the ability to copy the, the GPS coordinates from my Canon files over onto my Fuji files. I have to do that in Lightroom because it's the only software that gives you that functionality. And they're like, well, we're working on it. I'm like, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it actually come out in one of your updates. <laughs> Yeah, that actually should be pretty easy to do. Um, I, I, I have this problem. I used to be a programmer. So when, when someone says, yeah, yeah, we're working on that. I said, no, I know how easy that would be to do. They haven't changed how programming works that much. And yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, you're, it's not on your list, is it? 
Yep. <laughs> and see, I'm in the same boat as you because my my very first computer science degree was all pro application programming. That's what I did. I uh, went to school for Visual Studio and um, working on the IBM AS400 mainframe. So that's all I did was programming Java, C plus, you know, Visual Basic. RPG, COBOL, all of that stuff. That's what my degree was in. And I'm like you. I get so frustrated when these companies are like, oh, yeah, we're working on having our developers implement this new feature that everybody's clamoring for. It's like, come on. It's a few line of codes for a few lines of code for God's sakes. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So for the tail end of this episode, I wanted to look at some of your images and you were nice enough to, you were kind enough to share some with me. And, uh, the first, I'm going to start, I'm going to go in the order that you sent them to me on Facebook. So the first one, um, is the lady, the, the model with blonde hair. She's got what looks like a, a black Teddy on, and she's got her back to the camera. Um, and she's wearing some really wicked heels. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to go ahead and, and share with us, uh, your, you know, basically how you created this image, your, your technique, well, you don't have to give away all your secrets, of course, but I mean, this is just a stunning image. I love the way her shadow falls in the left-hand side of the frame. Um, it's just an amazing image and, uh, hopefully you can give a little more detail to the listeners cause I'll share these as long as it's okay with you in the show notes so they can look at them as well. Oh, absolutely. And I don't have any secrets. Um, all the, <laughs> you just all have the raw tags. <laughs> all the buttons I use are available to everybody. It's, it's not like I've got to deal with Adobe. You may give me this button, but don't give it to anybody else. Um, there's actually just a lot of dodge and burn going on. Um, uh, this young lady's kind of special. You notice her face isn't in any of the pictures. Um, I believe she's a nurse. <laughs> But uh, okay. she was one of the first models I ever worked with. So I've known her for a long time and she's married now. And, you know, um, a lot has changed. But every year uh, she wants her husband to have something new to put on the uh, on the background of his phone. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's sweet. Of so her. She comes to me. Yeah, she comes to me and says, uh, th this year he wants more of my butt. So there we go. <laughs> um, so to to. Uh, um, one of the things that I do with my images, and this is definitely one of them, is that first of all, I stretch it a little bit. She's, she's probably maybe six inches taller in the picture than she is in real life. Um, an awful lot of pictures are like that. It's not enough that they can see that I did it, but it's enough that it's impressive to them. You know, and again, it's, oh, yeah. it's playing a little bit with the head of the viewer. Um, but with her, that's, that's kind of how he, how she looked, although um, the light was a lot flatter on her. I, I love dodge and burn. I'm, I'm huge at that. I probably overdo it. Um, that's, you know, light in the areas that are light and dark in the areas that are dark. Mm -hmm. And occasionally you can put light in places that um, it's either very dim or hardly there. You can add a whole bunch of light there and it changes the shape. And dodge and burn is all about shape. Yeah, it's all about popping the picture out. Hey, there's nothing wrong with dodge and burn. That was Ansel Adams' favorite technique. He loved. Oh it. yeah, yeah. I, I love people say, oh, I, I get it right in the camera like Ansel Adams. I said, you don't know much about him, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ansel Adams didn't do it perfect right out of the camera. He actually did a crap ton of dodge and burn in the in the dark room. Oh yeah, one one of his most uh, famous and well um, 
uh, one of the pictures that sold the most, um, there was a mountain in the background that actually had somebody, some class or something had painted a bunch of rocks and spelled out a word on the hill. And he actually had some of his staff go in with, with um, ink and draw terrain over the rocks so it went away yeah i mean they didn't have content to wear <laughs> yep exactly yeah it always it always, kills me. it always kills me when people are like well ansel adams got it perfect right out of the camera i'm like like hell he did <laughs> his image just spent a crap yeah. ton of well, time in the dark room being modified well we, we'll give him we'll give him credit for showing up at a location for three days waiting for the light to be just right oh yeah absolutely there is, he was dedicated when it came he, to that oh absolutely um, and people who follow him and want to do the same kind of work, they're always looking around to see where his tripod marks are on the ground. <laughs> yeah, because he would sit in a spot long enough waiting for just the right light, then I'm surprised some of the locations he went to don't have permanent tripod footprints in the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so um, so there's that. The one with the, the lady bending over. I, yep. I've done a few of those, and and... I, I think 1% of the people probably say, you know, having a woman bend over and shoot her from behind, you know, that's, that's crass and, and all it's like, no, it's beautiful. Where do you think we get the, where did we get that heart shape? You know, and when you, when uh, Valentine's day comes up and you see everything has a little heart on it, our hearts aren't that shape. Yeah, exactly. The woman's butt is, mm-hmm. you know, so you know, don't, don't be trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Yeah. So and I, and I, I actually just heard that a long time ago that that's what the heart shape was based on was this design. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, what do you love? Well, you know, the heart's kind of a, a beating mass of muscle. It's not, it's not romantic at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so the bend over ones there, the, I did one for her because, well, she's got really great legs and it, it shows. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them I've done in the past, I actually Photoshop out the arms. So I'll use it. It's like, that's not possible. You know, the <laughs> shoulders are going to show up somewhere. Yeah. But but it's art. So um, all of my model releases have a, have a paragraph that says, I can do anything I want with a picture. You may not even recognize yourself. That's fine as for art. Yeah, so, exactly. But, now, is this is this yeah, the one. same lady that was in the first shot? Yes. Okay, I thought it same was. One. I thought it was her. I wasn't 100% certain, but I thought the shoes looked the same. Um, so I assumed yeah, you it was said her. recent. Yeah. You and said I, recent, and I think I... Yep. Go I, ahead. I edited this yesterday, so... <laughs> That's pretty recent. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I can understand her wanting to not show her face in the images, especially, you know, if she's if she's working in the nursing field or something like that. You know, it could cause all kinds of problems for her if these images get out and people recognize her. So I can understand. And like yeah, you said, she's doing these mostly as a gift for her husband. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, she, she wants – I asked her, of course, if it was okay, and she said, yeah, but, but I don't have the kind of body your girls have, so you'd never use my stuff for – for for your art i'm going yeah no i think so, um, so so there you go yeah she does that um, she does have fantastic legs i mean you can see some major details in her legs especially the lower part of her legs she's got fairly muscular legs that look really nice yeah that calf muscle uh, is usually a telltale mm-hmm. whether they work out or not yeah exactly so. yeah if you got a wicked calf muscle down there then you you're taking care of yourself for sure yeah 
Definitely. Okay. So now, the one with uh, Ellie, yep. Ellie with her horse. Yeah. That's not her definitely horse. I wanted to talk to you about this one because this one is just fantastic. Ellie's always fantastic, but I love the fact that you got the horse yeah. there. You got the hat. You got the tree in the background. That's, okay. So tell us all about this one here. Okay. When I first, you know, when somebody first gets started in something like photography, they, they, they very quickly have a bucket list of what they want to do. Even though it's been done before, it's, I want to do one like that. Well, it turns out the first one I saw was that, not the first one, the first one I saw with a girl in a trough and a, and a horse near her. I thought, that is awesome. I have to do that. Well, the one I saw is actually that trough, it turned out. <laughs> so oh, so wow. I got to, of course, different girl might be the same horse. I don't know. But um, I think the horse would have been a little, little, little thing at the time I saw it. But, uh, uh, but it's at a ranch that it's a horse ranch. And, uh, and that's the one that, you know, from the picture, because I talked to the guy and he said, yeah, and he, he's the one that actually took it. The guy who owns the ranch. Oh, wow. Um, so anyway, it's not far from where Ellie lived, which was out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so we spent a half a day there um, running around doing things. And I'll tell you, Ellie is quite the horse whisperer. She can ride them. She can talk to them. She's, she's good. And that horse knew it. And all through it, you could see the horse. Um, the horse either loved her or was thinking, why are you in my drinking water? <laughs> was, uh, one of those two was going on. Well, and actually the uh, way the image is to me, it honestly looks like her and the horse have an intimate connection. That's, that's what the image tells me. Not that he's upset that she's in his water, but that they have an intimate connection. Almost looks like with the way her head tur is turned, like her, the, like the horse is talking to her, whispering yeah, in her yeah. ear. Well, I ended up, because I really wanted that shot and loved it, I probably have a dozen um, different variations of that, um, some of which are, are, are not exactly covered in water. But um, uh, the horse is in different positions and all that. But I picked this one because it's the most intimate of, of all of them as far as the horse interacting with her. Um, uh, I mean, he, he was in just about all of them, but this is the this is the best one or the cutest one. So yeah. Yeah, this one, I mean, the intimacy, the the close connection between woman and horse is, I mean, that just jumps right out at you. There's no two ways about it. Mm -hmm. That's and, and we were talking about dodge and burn earlier. That that horse has been dodged and burned, too. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> you, you can't get him to look like that with any kind of lighting. You gotta, exactly. You got to add the lighting a little bit. Yep. Um, then the one with Ellie at a beach, um, that, that, that was actually Huntington Beach. Uh, I go there a lot, actually. Um, now, this is the, I, the next I, image, the one where she's walking into the water. Yeah, she's she's um, uh, really underneath a pier. That's what all those things are. Yeah, I figured probably. Yep. Um, and it was funny. I got to tell you, you know, California, you immediately think, okay, well, having guns would, would bother them and all that because they've got all these laws. So I went, well, I want to have a, a knife strapped to her leg. I mean, I had the knife. It's like, I better check the laws because I don't want anybody getting into trouble. It turns out in California, you can have a, a machete up to, uh, I don't remember, three feet long or something like that. And just walk around in public with it. It's fine. Uh, it's like, okay. <laughs> so so we evidently did not get hassled with this at all. Yeah, that's um, definitely a weird law. Uh, it is, yeah. 
So, uh, so anyway, I, I just loved that shot. Uh, later on in the same weekend, um, we, I was there to teach a class, my first time teaching outside of Arizona. Uh, but um, one of the people in the class took us to a beach. I think it's uh, Seal Beach or something like that, which is up the road a little bit. And it was the first time I shot on a beach that the, the sun was going down. It was yellow. It was low tide. So the whole beach was reflective because, you know, the, it had been wet recently. And so she was reflecting off it. It was the most amazing time. Usually if I shoot on a beach, I have to add uh, clouds and things to the sky because it's gray, you know, just gray. Yeah, and I hate when that happens. Yeah, and it it happens all the time when you've got, you know, uh, on the coast. Um, I don't know if there's a marine layer that's always out there going, I'm going to make sure your pictures suck. Uh, (laughs) Something going on. Yeah. Um, But anyway, this, this was a favorite. Because uh, you can see the water would come up, and you can see a reflection in the in the uh, uh, the lower feet there. Too. Yeah, that's what I, I love. I love the reflection. That look just looks amazing. And I think she looks really, really cool with the knife strapped to her leg because it's almost like uh, it, it gives me a little bit of a native vibe, kind of. And that you know, oh, I was waiting for you to say James Bond. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it's, it's a similar knife strap and knife combination to what Halle Berry wore in the in the James Bond movie she did with Pierce Brosnan when they were in Cuba and she come up out of the water. And uh, well, see, but that's you're, what you're I was a thinking, young something kid. like that. Yeah. Well, I'm 51 in November. You're a young kid. Be- yeah. See, like I said, you're a young kid. Um, before that, there one of the first Bond ones was Ursula. Ursula Andress, I think was her name. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I've seen all the Bond films. I, that, the I one, the was, one with Hallie was the one that popped in my head first, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're both good, definitely. Um, yep. I, I'm not even sure that that wasn't a black and white movie. I mean, it was that, that far back. She was wearing a white bikini. I remember that. Uh, uh, Miss Barry did a better job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, these other two are actually pieces... Put together i just added on this so um i thought some of your listeners might like to see the the before and after yeah this one's um, the next one's really cool and you, of course you got the gentleman that's in the frame with her but i still really like the yeah. way it's set up and i love the lighting my my um the biggest question i get with this is why is there a slot in the board <laughs> and it's so funny i should have had him hold the board the other way so the slot was behind the hair <laughs> um, I had cut that slot out because I needed a, a black slot. No, I wanted a slot there because uh, in another another shoot, I wanted the light way back, and I just wanted light to cross someone's eyes. Uh-huh. So I would hold the board up, and so the light would shine through the slot and just across their eyes. Well, all I had to do this with was that board that had the slot cut out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's there because uh, it's the only board I had with it was even close so i and i i spent about half the time editing the picture taking that slot out so it wasn't visible so i took that picture flipped it the other way um you can never trust which way my pictures were shot versus what they show <laughs> flipped it the other way and um uh, obviously made her hair longer yeah um and uh that's what that's the piece that i got out of it so and it's of course the guy's gone, the feet are gone, the shot slots gone, everything's gone. Yep. And then the whole thing is tinted kind of a reddish color. Yeah. Just to, just to give it a 
uh, a uh, mis- mysterious look. Yeah, look, she so, looks almost like a fire nymph or something like that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people look at it, and the first thing they think is that there is a fire there, and then they, oh, no, no, no it's hair, and, you know, um, yeah, it, it really doesn't, They, they there's a hundred stories you can put on that, and there wasn't actually a story, so there you go. Yeah. It tells a story that, that I don't have to uh, author, I'm already. Yeah, and I love that you gave us the before and after on this image, because that is so cool to just see how you set it up when you actually shoot it versus your final product what the final image looks like and that is just that's just such a cool shot i really love it and it wasn't for me so much her hair i mean i picked up that that was her hair right off the bat it's just the way her hair is shaped and the overall color and tone of her and her hair and then the background that you used says fire to me Mm -hmm. i mean it's the whole whole thing it just that's why i said fire nymph (laughs) Yeah, if it was if it was a blue tent, it would be something completely different. Yeah, then we'd be talking yeah. about ice right now. Yeah, exactly. She'd be an ice nymph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. But that is so, an absolutely amazing finished image. I just absolutely love that. I'm sure she was probably thrilled with it too. Yeah, she she gets a kick out of, of shooting, especially if it's a class. I think this was a class, and and he was he was a student in it, and I said, don't you know get get wild you know make let your imagination just completely fly you can say, well let's try this and if it doesn't work well then you just discovered a white way it doesn't work but most of the time something comes out of it that's pretty awesome um but yeah sharing before and afters um i've had i've befriended people that were i followed them because i really love their style and at some point we ended up exchanging before and afters of certain pictures and it gave me more of a feeling more confidence because their before pictures look like mine. <laughs> you can only do so much with light in the camera. Yeah, exactly. All the stuff you do afterwards. So it's like, all right, they're starting with the same stuff I am. Yep. Um, and, uh, and that's good. So I like to share because I want other people to see that. Yeah. The before and afters, how did you get that lit like that? Well, that was easy. That you know, flipping her upside down, having her hair, yeah, that was the harder part. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I can imagine. I, think it, I had to think it upside down. Yeah. Um so and see that's and in what, some cases I go ahead. In some cases I don't even know what it is it's gonna look like when I'm done, but yeah. I'm gonna have something really cool to work with. Yeah, exactly. See, and that's one of the things I love about if you're not familiar with him, Chase Jarvis. He's a photographer out in Philadelphia, or I mean Seattle. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's really popular. And that's one of the things that ju- he just blows my mind with his before and after stuff, because he's like you. He'll take something in the studio and then the finished product looks totally different. I mean, you can see if you look at his before and afters, you can see just like, you know, the one you did here. You can see the before and the after, but it's like, man, where did he come up with the idea to turn it this way and change this and put this in and then take this out? It's just crazy. Uh, he's really, really uh, creative. He, he, he used to do a, um, a lot of extreme sports stuff. So he's, yeah. he's uh, yep. I, I need to look at him again because he's obviously moved along to other things he now loves. Oh, yeah. He did. Uh, if you didn't know about it, he actually did a, uh, a commercial shoot for. I think it was Samsung and it was for some new monitor they had coming out that had this ridiculous new color technology in it. And they approached him to do uh, a commercial shoot for this monitor to introduce this new line of monitors. 
And he's like, you know what? I got this vision that's been bouncing around in my head when I'm sleeping at night for several months now, and I'm going to use this vision to create your final image. And, oh, my God, it was so elaborate. He set up because he uses, like, a warehouse-sized building for his studio. And he had all of these um, air-powered cannons, and each one was filled with different colored powdered dyes. And and um, and he had them firing off in specific sequences. And then the camera shoot at a different sequence, you know, at a different timing and all that. And he even didn't end up using a model. He had brought in a couple of models, and he didn't like the way the images worked out. So he ended up being the model himself for the final image. But it was basically him dropping off a ladder onto a trampoline and then shooting up through the, the various colors that look, you know, basically after the cannons were fired and his shot was taken, it looked like he was bouncing. He was flying up through different colored clouds. And he was wearing a business suit at the same time. And the, the final image was just, oh, my God, it was so ridiculous. And to see all the crap he went through to set up the before <laughs> so he could get the after. And, and Samsung absolutely loved it. It was a super, super popular image. That's awesome. Well, it's there's imagination out there that, you know, it can be boundless. Um, and it, nobody should be doing any of this stuff because there's some rule that says this is how you do it. Uh, no, 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 no rules. Yep. That's what I tell. I tell people all the time. I'm like, Hey, it's good to learn certain rules of photography. You know, the, the rule of thirds and all of that stuff, leading lines, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to make art, you just have to ignore all that stuff and do your own thing. Put your own touch in it, put your own spin in it, your own thought process. And one of the things in addition to his creative stuff, his more artistic stuff, one of the other reasons why I've respected Chase Jarvis so much is back when he was shooting nothing but extreme sports all the time, he was one of these guys that would actually build his own rigs for his cameras. You know, he wasn't looking to go out and, and buy something from, you know, some big rig or somebody like that, he would actually, okay, I need my camera to be mounted at this position on this Jeep while I'm following this, you know, professional cyclist. So I'm just going to build my own boom and my own cage system and everything and run my own wires back into the car, into a monitor that I can get so I can have the live view inside the car and fire the trigger remotely. And he would just build all that crap himself. And I mad props to him for doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think in some cases it's probably because he couldn't find it to buy it anywhere because it was so special. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yep. He ma I mean, he made his own rigs even for photographing mountain climbers because he would actually climb the mountains with them. He wasn't using a telephoto lens. He was actually up on the rock face with them, you know, 20, 30 feet over from them. See, that's the difference between uh, Chase and I. He's crazy. <laughs> well, he's also a lot younger than we are, too. <laughs> that's true he would i would hurt a lot more you know oh yeah and he would he bounces he bounces better than i do <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'm mad props to him he is one crazy talented photographer and uh like you he's on, on the artistic side he comes up with stuff that just blows me away if you if he shares the before and after it's like oh my holy cow where in god's name did he come up with this idea but it looks fabulous mm-hmm yeah. Oh, man. That's cool. Yep. Well, Dave, I uh, appreciate you joining me on the show today. We've gone a little over an hour and a half, which is, like I said, totally fine. My listeners love the longer episodes. 
and they're going to absolutely love these images. As long as it's okay with you, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. And of course, uh, we'll include the link directly to uh, DaveKellyArtistics.com. And um, if you want to go ahead and share uh, anything else uh, with my listeners, you know, your social media, all that good stuff, go ahead and do so. Okay. Well, um, uh, just if you just look up Dave Kelly Artistics, or if you go to my website, DaveKellyArtistics.com, down across the bottom, it's got all the links to all the different things, you know, the, the Instagram and the Facebook and all. And that, that's probably the easiest way to distribute that, that, uh, that information. And for anybody who's interested in doing any of the training, um, you can use the coupon code of stay home. Um, and you'll never guess where I came up with that. Of course. <laughs> um, stay home and you get like 50% off. So it's, it's a pretty good deal. That's okay. for people who want to learn how to do the artistic thing. I really push people on helping them find their style. Um, my style is my style. And if theirs is close, don't care. And whatever makes their heart, feel good that's their style exactly so anyway we, we i do an awful lot of that <laughs> yeah i appreciate uh i appreciate the, the interview it's great and uh um like i said ellie's back from greenland so you know you that wanna, that means we got to make plans to do another one with you and her <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, had a, I've actually had a bunch of people that dm me and they're like when are you doing the second show with them and i'm like trust me it's coming i've just been we've been waiting for ellie because she's been tied up doing other things she's higher in demand than dave and i are <laughs> yes uh, she's uh she's something else for sure it's really hard to nail her down um, there's, I think she spent the last, uh, um, uh, two days, uh, or first two days back, um, trying to make amends with her cat. So her cat will talk to her again. Oh yeah. Probably the cat was ticked off cause she was gone for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then she came back smelling funny. So I, oh, oh my goodness. So. Yeah. I'm going to have to reach out to her cause I didn't realize she was back stateside. I was trying to minimize, you know, how much I messaged her on Facebook. Cause I knew she was busy doing a ton of stuff overseas and you know, I didn't, I didn't want to throw off her time. I know she hit me up one day out of the blue. Um, and asked for asked uh i can't remember what she asked me but she asked me for you know uh i don't remember if it was uh to pray for her or something like that but she hit me up one day because she was going through some rough stuff and uh and uh, and then the rest of the time when she was actually overseas she would we would just message back and forth through facebook because i don't think her i don't think she had a sim card that would work over there and uh, so she couldn't use her phone directly she would use facebook but yeah i didn't realize she was back i'm surprised she I thought she would have shot me a text message to let me know she was back because she knew we were planning to do uh, the next episode with the two of you together because I'd already told her on Facebook about the same time I reached out to you about it. Yep, so. But, yeah, well, we'll, we'll give her some time to decompress and stuff. Yeah, that was exactly the word I was going to say. She, she needs a week or two to, to uh, get back to get back to uh well not freezing her ass off that helps <laughs> yeah really <laughs> yeah i'm sure she's glad to be back home where it's considerably warmer uh-huh um, yeah so but yeah she's a great Alan, girl we just got to give her time to to get decompressed and get get back into her normal groove of being back here in the states and doing her thing and being the ellie that we know and love she's been really quiet the last few days so you know that the, Ellie's never quiet, so she needs a little time. Yeah. 
Yep, absolutely. All right, Dave. Well, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your busy day to talk to me here on the show. The fans, uh, I know, are going to absolutely love it. And, I, and I'll get back to you on that because, like I told you at the top of the show and we talked about before, I don't, I don't think all the listeners I got on 131 was just because of Ellie. <laughs> I think a lot of it was because of you. Because you do extremely artistic work and your, your final products are just mind-blowing. They're so beautiful. Well, thank you. Absolutely. All right. And you have my permission to use those pictures. No problem. As a matter of fact, I'll go find the one I was talking about on the boat and I'll, I'll add that to the group. How would you like those pictures? Do you want me to, to uh, um, Dropbox them to you? Yeah, that's fine. That'd be great. All right. We'll make, sure, make sure you put your watermark on them. I do have right click and download and all that disabled on my, on my show notes site. But uh, just to be safe, make sure you put your watermark on them for us. Okay. All right. Well, thank Will you, do. Dave. I appreciate your time once again. I hope you have a wonderful day. Okay, Liam. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right. So that is going to wrap up episode 189 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group you can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on instagram facebook and twitter at liamphotoatl if you like abandoned buildings and history you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com all right, and I want to thank Mr. Dave Kelly of Dave Kelly Artistics once again for being kind enough to share some of his time with me and my audience. And as usual, it was great talking to you, Dave, and I wish you much more success. I will see all of you again on Sunday with the latest news and rumors.